Benson started getting into mysticism in the 1950s. From battling black lords to the practice of bloodletting, the conscious development group that Terry formed was marked by bizarre practices from the very start. And then, conscious development was rocked by a spate of member deaths and suicides. So when it was shown that Terry was the benefactor on multiple members' wills, the police decided to investigate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Every week, we're going to cover your favorite cults, faith followers, and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. Today, we're going to tell you about Terry Benson's Conscious Development Group, what began as a weekly meditation class, like so many do, and ended in bizarre ritualistic meetings where members battled with dark lords while dressed in robes and jewellery. And that's not all. We'll get into how Terry manipulated members' minds, even going so far as to set some up with boyfriends who only existed on non-physical planes. Like mine. (laughs) So in other words, who didn't exist. This is quite the scam, yeah. as you're going to discover. It's so absolutely my shit for many reasons. Firstly, because my boyfriend does, does exist on a non-physical plane. And secondly, because I love battling Dark Lords and Bloodlessing. It's my favourite. Favourite things, favourite things. And Conscious Development Group, obviously in hindsight, screams cult. I'd say I'm trying to consciously develop. Join a Conscious Development Movement? don't like movements. That's the problem. That's the problem. Conscious development solo, A-OK. Conscious <laughs> development group, bad times. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. So let's get into Terry Benson's early life and how she established the Conscious Development Movement. Terry Lee Benson was born in 1938. At age nine, she was sent to an orphanage in Round Rock, Texas. Two years later, she was adopted by a Dallas couple. At age four, Terry had reported seeing visions of messengers in robes who encouraged her to turn to God. At the orphanage, Terry saw the visions again. She also met a Lutheran nun who taught her about the elements that make up the earth. And the elements she's talking about here aren't the ones that are on the periodic table. No, no, she's talking about fire, water, earth, air, and ether. She also taught her about meditation and reincarnation. Terry began to believe that she was a reincarnation of a famous Roman Catholic mystic. Keeping it 
niche though. Hmm. I give her that. She's not like I'm Cleopatra. No, <laughs> no. She's like, I'm a Roman Catholic mystic. Yeah, we love a mystic. At age 15 in 1953, Terry married an 18-year-old truck driver named John Wilder. Their first child was born 18 months later and they went on to have two more children. Terry was a full-time housewife, taking care of her children and tending to the family's farm near Dallas. But she was yearning for something more. Around 1954, Terry began to study the occult and met with friends to discuss metaphysics, the origin and structure of the universe, and the meaning of existence. So far, Friday night, no problem. And to be fair, for a bored 1950s housewife, Mm -hmm. she's giving it a go. She is giving it a crack. As Terry went deeper and deeper into the world of mysticism and meditation, she began attracting a circle of admirers. She also started hosting meditations and offering one-to-one counselling services to her followers. And it was to this growing group that Terry gave the name Conscious Development of Body, Mind and Soul. During group meetings, Terry would lead meditations based on visualising the temples of the world's spiritual masters, Masters like Christ, Buddha, Mohammed, absolutely no cross-doctrine problems there. Terry also claimed to somehow have knowledge of the Akashic records, which were taught to her by the Lutheran nun from her childhood. According to the wellness website Gaia, the Akashic records are, quote, the repository of every thought, word and deed of every living being, good, bad and awful in all times past, present, and future. Are they? Mm. Are they really? Chunky. That's got to be. Chunky they may have been, but Chunkzilla Terry was not fussed. She was not bothered by this. She actually said that the knowledge of these records gave her the ability to see into students' past and future. Well, I should bloody well hope so if you're pretending to know everything that has ever known and ever will be. Exactly. That's the least you should be able to do. Christ, Buddha, and Muhammad are not quite enough. She wants to get in on the Hinduism as well. She also preached often about the Hindu law of karma, which is, of course, cause and effect. A former student claims that Terry said she could levitate, the classic claim of any, any cult leader worth their salt. Mm -hmm. Terry also said that she could heal the sick. When her son once badly dislocated his thumb, Terry attempted to heal him through meditation. Loving the word attempted there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Terry's teachings increasingly gave her more and more power over her students' lives. She told one high school student that his girlfriend was going to die in a car accident, and only an emergency meditation session could save her. Her husband grew concerned with Terry's increasing vision of herself as a Jesus figure. Yeah, I mean, John's just like... What's happening? I'm a truck driver that married a 15-year-old and now I I don't know what's going on at all. And I suppose he must be away a lot if he's driving trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just comes home and he's like, where's dinner? My living room full of levitating people (laughs) talking about karma. And what the hell happened to our son's thumb? (laughs) So yeah, John's concerned. And it didn't help that Terry seemed to be growing closer to one particular student named Glenn Scott Cooley, a 20-year-old who was 13 years Terry's junior. Because, yeah, by this point, she's a fully grown lady. Terry's adopted parents also found her newborn status as a guru troubling. They had her committed to a hospital for a psychiatric evaluation. They did this after convincing a judge that Terry posed a substantial risk to herself or others. I think that's fair enough. I think it's fair enough. 
especially when your child is hurt and you are meditating over him rather than taking him to get some urgent medical care. After this, Terry filed for divorce in 1970, saying that her husband was impeding her spiritual growth. She and her student, Glenn, married shortly after the divorce was finalised. Terry and Glenn bonded over the Conscious Development Programme. They began making a line of conscious development jewellery because diversify those income streams. We've said it before and we'll say it again. And also, if you were to make conscious development jewellery, what would it look like? Well, I would just go all in on the Hinduism stuff. Yeah, yeah, smart. Chuck some evil eyes in there. Mm -hmm. Go strong with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just be like, it's an eye, it's a third eye, evil eye, mind, body and soul, triple eye. I don't know. The triple eye. I just start tattooing third eyes on people's foreheads. Done. They did not take that route. They seem to have kept it pretty tame because this conscious development jewellery was so tame they managed to sell it at craft fairs around the country. And they also said that this jewellery had protective powers or so they claimed. I am almost certain that I bought several bracelets from Claire's Accessories when I was in secondary school that claimed to have protective powers. And look at me, I'm a fucking mess. They don't work. And the mood beads and the mood rings. mood rings, yeah. Never forget those. And the power beads. What were they? Do you remember those? Where it was like the different colours. Are they, are they, do they go in your bum? No. Okay. <laughs> they went round your wrist and you bought them from Claire's Accessories and it was just like circles of... Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah, you would yeah. buy like the green one and it was to do this and mm-hmm. you buy pink. Yeah. 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 Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Do you remember shag bands? I do. I do. Scooby bands? Shag yes, bands? Yes. Remember those? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Brit- fucking great nostalgia for everyone who's not British. Or exactly our age. <laughs> So uh, this jewellery may have been more protective than the ones that we got from Claire's, but some members were so protected by this jewellery that they were actually deemed spiritual masters. And Terry handpicked these students and created a special teachers group. Amongst the things she taught in this group was the idea that death would allow them to move to a higher plane in the universe. And I think she might have taught them something else. I think so too. I agree. Hard. Coming up, Terry's teachings get bizarre as she starts leading battles against imaginary dark lords and encourages students to drain some of their blood. Uh Uh-oh. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. So let's get into Terry Benson's conscious development teachings and rituals. One of Terry's main teachings was that students must distance themselves from friends and families. Do I even need to do a cult windshine? We've been here before. We've seen this before, guys. Everyone paying attention. In one lesson, she wrote that attachments are the most insidious and deceitful of the destructive passions. So she can do whatever she wants. With whoever she wants to do it with. And they've got no one to tell. And no one can be upset. 
Mm-hmm. By 1977, Terry's teachings became more confrontational. She introduced the concept of good and evil forces in the world. Evil forces were called black lords, and they travelled in lodges and could only be battled in the spiritual realm. Terry's teachers group were the only ones who could successfully battle the evil forces. At group meetings, a series of symbolic objects were brought, including things like a cup, a cloth circle and a sword. Attendees were encouraged to wear Terry's jewellery and dress in robes, which gave them 15 times the amount of power, according to Terry. That's nice, isn't it? Nice round number. That's what we'd say to everyone at the Red Handed Live shows, mm. is the show will be 15 times better if you wear every single item of merch we've ever released. Accurate. A former student recalled, quote, We were taught to use these weapons to kill the Black Lords. You really were in a battle. During the battle, someone would indicate that there was a spirit in the room. Like when your dog looks at the corner. (laughs) (laughs) And they mentioned former students or someone who had fallen out of favour with the group as conduits for the Black Lords. Then, using a series of sword moves, the group would aim towards the area of the room where the evil spirit was. They're LARPing. They're LARPing. I'm amazed no one's lost a hand. Yeah. The battles with the Dark Lords were driving a wedge between Terry and her husband, Glenn, who filed for a divorce in January 1977. See, even Glenn can't take it. Glenn can't take it. And the divorce judges, who decides if you can get divorced or not? Depends, I Uh, guess. Yeah, anyway. So the divorce judges that I've just invented decided in January 1977 that the divorce was A-OK, it was granted. Five days later, Glenn went to his parents' lake cabins, all right for some, to spend the night. The next day, Terry reported finding a note from Glenn in her safe with the title Last Will and Testament. In it, it said that Glenn would be leaving all of his property, including a car, boats, jewellery and cash, to his very newly Mm ex-wife, Terry. Suspect. Indeed. Terry, along with two students, went to the cabin where Glenn had spent the night and there... They found him dead of an apparent drug overdose, allegedly, apparently. Mm -hmm. Years later, in 1990, a former student of Terry told the authorities that she and Terry had gone to Glenn's cabin the day before Glenn died. The woman said that Terry had told her that Glenn was, quote, going to the next level. She also said that when they saw Glenn, he told them he had consumed the fatal drugs. Within conscious development, Glenn's death was considered a sign that the Black Lords were making gains. Terry began to teach that bloodletting, or the draining of blood, was necessary to get rid of poison brought about by the Black Lords. Terry said that a single syringe full of blood was enough to drive the Black Lords' energy out. The new ritual drove many followers away. Because, yeah, like, not everyone is into blood play. It's it's a (laughs) bit much. Yeah, a lot of people at this point left Terry and left the conscious development movement altogether. Uh, Well, good for them. Yeah. In addition to the increasingly strange rituals, some of the group were becoming suspicious of how Terry was running conscious development. The executive director of the organization began to notice that Terry was mixing conscious development funds with her own funds. Huge mistake. Mm -hmm. That is how they will always find you. They don't care if you kill people. They do care if they're not getting what they perceive to be the right amount of your money. Precisely. She also noticed that Terry was occasionally giving the same past life story 
to multiple followers. That's so true. No, I was Anne Frank. <laughs> Wait a minute. This caused the student to wonder where Terry was actually getting her teachings from. It was especially concerning as Terry seemed to be transitioning her role in the group from spiritual guide to guru. But Terry still managed to maintain a group of loyal followers. One of those was Sandy Cleaver, who also worked as Terry's secretary treasurer and helped making the jewelry as well. So multi-talented is Sandy. The friendship between Sandy and Terry was driving a wedge between Sandy and her own husband at the time. Following a divorce, Sandy's ex-husband fought to get custody of their daughter, Susan. He cited Sandy's involvement in conscious development as making her an unfit mother. In 1978, Sandy wrote a will where she left everything to Terry and conscious development. The will included Sandy's inheritance, which was providing her with $20,000 per year. In Sandy's will, her daughter Susan, who was 14 at the time, was not mentioned not once, not a bit, not at all. Susan had a trust fund of her own that was worth about $125,000. A few days after Sandy wrote her will, Susan had apparently also written a will where she left everything to conscious development. And then Kelsa Preece, tragedy struck. Up next, we'll get into a series of mysterious accidents that took the lives of both Sandy and Susan, as well as other Conscious Development members. So let's get into the series of deaths and suicides that happened amongst members of Terry's Conscious Development group. In 1979, Conscious Development Secretary Sandy Cleaver and her 15-year-old daughter Susan took a trip to Hawaii, along with Sandy's new fiancé. Prior to the trip, Conscious Development founder Terry Benson had begun telling Sandy that her daughter Susan was infected by black forces. While Susan and Sandy were on an inflatable raft in a lagoon, a wave came and knocked them over. Sandy was unable to find her daughter. Several hours later... Susan's body was found in the lagoon. Susan's father visited Sandy in the hospital following the accident. He reported that Terry was already in Sandy's room when he came to visit. And he said that with Terry in the room, Sandy became quite distant and had a glazed look over her eyes. She told him, quote, Susan will be happier in heaven. And I'll be much happier with all of her money. Yeah. Susan's father was shocked to learn of the will that she'd written before her death, leaving her inheritance to Terry, a person she had absolutely limited contact with in her short 15 years of life. And because Susan was a minor, the will she had written was deemed invalid. That'll have pissed her right off, dear old Terry. Dear old Terry may need to invest in some sort of legal department because that does seem like quite an obvious flaw in the plan. She's like, that's what I was going to use the money for. Ah... Following Susan's tragic death, Sandy and Terry grew even closer. Terry had also recently lost a child. That same year, her 22-year-old son had died in a building construction accident. Shortly after her daughter's death, Sandy took out a life insurance policy for $300,000 and made Terry 
the sole beneficiary. Are the people in life insurance shops, which is where I assume one acquires such a policy, <laughs> are they not asking any questions like, who is this Terry woman? And the following year, Sandy transferred the title of her home to Terry and began paying rent to Terry whilst she continued to live in her own home that she owned. Well, not anymore because she's given it away. <sighs> Good. So she's like, here, have my house, and then let me live here and pay you rent. Let me pay you to take my house from me. Yeah. Cool. In September 1981, Sandy and her housekeeper Louise left on a trip to Colorado. Mid-trip, Sandy drove straight off the side of a mountain, like Thelma and Louise, Jesus Christ. There were no skid marks, leading authorities to believe that Sandy hadn't braked or veered when driving off the mountain. Three months prior to the car accident, Sandy had updated her will, surprise, surprise, and she left everything to Terry. Sandy's housekeeper, Louise, had also signed a will that left everything to Terry. What the fuck? No words. Sandy's brother happened to contest her will after she died, saying that it was the result of undue influence and fraud. And after the case went to trial in 1982, Terry agreed to settle with Sandy's brother. She ended up paying him... $112,500 in cash and 40% of the money from the sale of Kleber's house, which seems less than fair. Mm-hmm. Terry, meanwhile, had married and divorced her third husband. In 1980, she married the ex-husband of one of her followers, a man named Don Hoffman. One of the people that had testified on Terry's behalf at the trial over Sandy's will was David Allen Goodman, a member of conscious development. There were three additional conscious development members that testified at the trial. Three out of four of them went on to kill themselves. And we'll come back to Goodman in a moment. One of those people was a woman named Robin Ottstott, who had been a member of conscious development since the 1970s. Following Sandy's death, Robin took over many of her duties within the group. But in 1986, Robin began talking about a bizarre relationship she was in with a CIA agent who may or may not have existed in real life. And she'd been set up with this person by none other than Terry. She's got a lot of contacts, hasn't she? Yeah. I could have CIA contacts too, if they existed on another plane. Sure. In April 1987, Robin reached out to her ex-husband in distress and said that she had contracted viral hepatitis. Oh, no. And her ex-husband set up an appointment for Robin to get tested. But the blood test result later showed no disease in her system. Hours after getting her blood drawn, Robin went to visit Terry. That night, she took her own life. She was just 42 years old. And in her will, surprise, surprise, she left absolutely everything to Terry. She had also left a written note to Terry, which read in part, quote, I'm apologizing to Terry. 3,000 times a week on all levels of my being. Oh my God. Bit intense. Bit much. The following year, Terry's fourth husband, Don Hoffman, which is the most American-sounding name I've ever heard, was found dead of an apparent drug overdose. He wrote a note saying that he had terminal inoperable cancer and that was the reason for taking his own life. But his autopsy showed absolutely no traces of cancer whatsoever. And Hoffman's entire estate was left to Terry. A pattern emerges, mm. I think. 
It has emerged. It's now off to fucking university. University. <laughs> oh, vision. I'm tired. David Goodman, who we mentioned earlier on, had testified on Terry's behalf and had ended up marrying a fellow conscious development person. They're so incestuous. Well, I think if all you want to talk about mm. is Black Lords, bloodletting and your protection bracelet, mm-hmm. I think that might limit your dating pool somewhat. And you aren't looking for a potential partner on 8chan, then this is the, the only place that you can do that. So David Goodman had testified on Terry's behalf. He'd ended up marrying yet another conscious development person. They're married between 1986 until early 1989. Between 1986 until early 1989, David Goodman and his wife had written Terry checks for over $110,000. In November of 1989, Goodman and his wife were found dead weeks after they had taken their own lives. By this point, the police, some might argue a little bit slow on the uptake, were becoming suspicious of the pattern of deaths. All of these people belong to this very small, very insular group, and they all keep dying, and all of their money keeps getting left to the same person. I think if you get two life policies from two unrelated people paid to you within the same year, police should take a look. I would also argue that. In 1990, the Dallas District Attorney's Office opened an investigation into nine separate unusual deaths of people that were close to Terry. Nine? For crying out loud. I, like, I'm with you. I think two. It needs a little gotta bit of a look just, just have a little look. Don't need to, like, you know, haul them in. Just have a little look. That's all I'm saying. Go to the life insurance shop and be like, have you seen anything suspicious? Yeah, just a little peer under the rug. Naturally, Terry's lawyer, which she has now, denied all wrongdoing on her part. And then, amazingly, the investigation was closed after four years when prosecutors failed to find any information linking Terry to the spate of deaths, apart from all of these signed documents. I thought you were going to say, when prosecutors died after signing away all of their belongings (laughs) to Terry Benson. But it is not all bad news, my friends. In 1994, Terry was sentenced to 16 months in prison for bankruptcy fraud. But she was released after just one year. But that is the story of Conscious Development Movement and Miss Terry Benson. The one and only Terry Lee Benson. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Hannah McGuire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. And we just want to mention that for today's episode, we referenced the reporting of Texas Monthly and D Magazine. Remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every single week. You can listen to this and all episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, be sure to come over and check out our weekly true crime podcast, 
red-handed. It's been running for almost five years now, so there are like over 200 episodes there for you to binge. And uh, you won't be disappointed because it's basically this, but longer episodes. Exactly. And did you know that divorce in Ireland was illegal until 1996? Because it was. And if you want to find out why that was, you can come over and listen to our St. Patrick's Day special full of uh, wonder and glee on the Kerry Babies over on Red Handed, The Mothership, wherever you find your podcasts. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo, Gemma Waters and Tracy Levy. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Research by Chelsea Wood and fact-checking by Cara McAleen. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs>